Bethesda relies on people like me. Yeah. And I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Before we begin, remember you can ask us a question and we will answer it on the podcast at the end of the episode. You can ask us by emailing us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are, we are discussing the readings for the 24th Sunday of Ordinary Time, Year A. The Book of Sirach says to let go of resentment and forgive your neighbor. St. Paul tells us that we must give an account to Christ even for our most mundane of actions. The gospel gives us a severe warning about what will happen if we try to limit our forgiveness. But first, the sacred and the profane. (laughs) (laughs) The sacred this week is that we have the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross and Our Lady of Sorrows on Thursday uh, would be the Exaltation of the Cross and Our Lady of Sorrows on Friday. Mm -hmm. So the 14th and the 15th of September. Yep. I like how those feast days kind of play off of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Our Lady of Sorrows, the deepest sorrows, you know, offering her son up on a cross. And so it's fitting that you have the exaltation of the cross and then Our Lady's mourning, right? Right. After that. So nice little uh, diptych yes. <laughs> in, in the calendar. So Yes. Well, then usually you have... Uh, in iconography, you have the thirty of Saint John. That's their right, beloved yeah. disciple. Yeah, the triptych. Yeah, the tri- Yeah, but yeah, no, they 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 very much go together. Um, you have Christ uh, accomplishing his his redemptive mission uh, on the cr- on the cross, but then you also have the highly debated role of Mary in that redemption. Yeah, and what to what extent that she was a part of of the event of the cross as well. Right. Is she a mediatrix? You know? Right, right. <laughs> That's a topic for another time. Yes. But, yeah, no, it, it makes a lot of sense um, that Mary, especially in the Gospel of John, Mary's there at the very beginning, the wedding feast of Cana, and then at the end, at the cross. Mm. And that many, many commentators and certainly church fathers believe that these two events are connected. Right. That the, the wedding feast and, and the cross are connected for, for Mary's role. Yep. Um, Even you know, I don't know. Peterson mentions when he when he talks about Mary, as uh, Mary being instrumental in Christ's sacrifice. And so you have the Son offering Himself up uh, to the Father, Mary offering up the Son to the Father, and so it's almost like this familial sacrifice. Yes, uh, which is a really neat way to look at it. Right. And in my mind, it's not controversial, but I know. <laughs> but in some, in some, in some I, minds, yeah. Sure. Right. I I agree with you, but. In some, perhaps it's it's a point of contention. Yeah, we'll put a war- trib- trigger warning on, right. on, on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. And of course, um, Peterson's talked about Mary as sort of the 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 anti devouring mother, mm-hmm. that you know, one who encourages her son to complete his mission, exactly. to complete his sacrifice, uh, and go through the pain of that sacrifice as opposed to coddling him right. and keeping him safe, but letting him go be free. On, be free yep. to accomplish what he set out to do. And of course the the readings for the uh, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, I highly recommend everybody read those. They're very, very powerful, very beautiful. Um, you have the connection of the serpents mm-hmm. in the desert, with the Israelites, and then Christ saying that he will be lifted up as the serpents were lifted up. Yep. And then you have the Christological poem or hymn in, yeah. in Philippians, uh, 
the, uh, that the whole letter of Philippians really centers around this kenosis, this right? kenosis. Yeah. The um, and it really there's been a, it's apparently one of the most commented on passages in in the Bible. Is that right? Is is I this letter I didn't to know that. yeah? Is this um, passage from uh, Philippians? Yeah, yeah. The Philippians um, two six through eleven. Yep. Uh, just because of that it has this poetic nature, it's also a narrative, and it's also Paul's master story. He says it's his master narrative yeah. for almost his entire ministry, but the whole letter of the Philippians is a commentary on this. Well, it's it's story. kind of like salvation history summed up right. in one passage. Exactly. Uh, it's Yeah, it's a beautiful passage. But So I highly recommend that, and we we'll may... We'll get there, right? We, yeah, we may, yeah, we may have a little bonus episode. Yeah, uh, so this... Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross is so packed with meaning. Uh, the readings are very rich. Uh, we think it deserves another episode. So mm-hmm. uh, if you'd like to listen to that, uh, check out our bonus episode, free of charge. So Yeah, totally go. free. Yeah. <laughs> so that <laughs> no was... strings attached. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. The string is that you, you, you have to like. You have, you have to, to like. like. <laughs> um, so that was the sacred for the profane... Uh, I finally got to play Starfield. Right. Obviously. Last last episode, it was coming out or it, came, it just came out? Uh, it had just come out. Just, yeah. well, well, for everybody, unless right. you had early access. And so now so. you sunk some time into it? Not uh, a whole lot. Okay. But, you know, maybe maybe two two or three hours okay. or so, okay. um, which, you know, is nothing Yeah. for what the game is. But so I is, it, really is it really like Skyrim in space, essentially? That's what it oh. feels like. Um, some people have said it feels a little bit more like Morrowind. Okay. Which was two games before yeah. Skyrim. It was the first Elder Scrolls game I played was Morrowind, and I loved it. Okay. So I, I kind of like that it's, uh, they call it a reskin of that. It, they brought back the um, the class system. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Skyrim, it was just, you could, there, there was no classes. You just kind of did whatever you wanted. And that's still true of Starfield, but there are sort of set classes in the beginning that if you want a bonus in something, you can be right, you know, and it starts you off with some right. Books, you, right. right, you can be a smuggler, or you can be a, right. you know, a ronin, or a pilgrim, or whatever it is. And although that doesn't have a dramatic impact on the game, it does give you some starting bonuses. And of have, course, there's create your own. Have you experienced like the sense of scale yet? Uh, a little bit, and it seems massive. How many planets did they say? I, I don't like even a thousand know. Thousand or something. Because like that? right now, when you zoom out to the star map, there's all these little points. Yeah. And each one of those points is a, is a system. Yeah. So within that system is maybe a dozen planets or right. half a dozen planets. Exactly. Planets. Yeah. And there's, I don't know. I'm trying to think right now. What I've seen maybe 15 that I've seen that are you of know the they're systems. like of, of the, yeah, the, the white dots. Yeah. But then there's like beyond those maybe like 20 that are red that oh, I wow. haven't been to yet, and wow. they contain planets. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. There's been some criticism of like you know, it's a little bit dated. Um, it's kind of classic. Bethesda offers a lot, but doesn't always follow through. Mm. And then, you know, some some bugs and yeah. issues. But Bethesda relies on people like me, yeah. and I'm just like, <laughs> just you know, you know, I'll give you my money. Just so can yeah, just right. Give me I something. <laughs> the same thing with Blizzard. It's like I I know it's the same game. Yeah, like, I know, <laughs> but I love it. But I, I'm, but yeah. I love it. You know, I I love RPGs. So yeah, I'm gonna play it no matter what. But yeah, um. I am on the fence about buying it. Uh, I think I might wait a little bit. Maybe when a semester's over, I might have some time. Um, it just, it looks so impressive. 
Um, yeah. I love the shots of like the ships flying in space. Um, you can pirate ships, right? Or you can destroy them, yeah. or you can like abort them. Yeah, I, so, I I boarded a ship yesterday. It's so that's so. so cool. Yeah, it looks really impressive. So yeah, well, if you want, come over. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, Joseph did our your brother, my brother-in-law. Oh, he really? watched me play the other day. Cool. Yeah. So cool. you can come over and watch. Yeah, maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe down the ro- road one day we can do like a live streaming. And I talk about the readings of the week while playing Starfield. <laughs> I don't know if I have the mental flexibility or yeah, agility for that, but you can try. And, you know, sacred and profane are supposed to be distinct, right? You're not supposed to... Yeah, <laughs> so... right. It's <laughs> supposed to be distinct. Yeah, don't, don't right. bring the profane into the sanctuary, right? That's <laughs> right. That's right. These are primordial distinctions and categories, right. says Mircea Eliade, the primordial religious man saw there was the sacred and their profane oh and they were gosh. not to intermix. Yes. So. Uh, that's great. Well, let's, uh, yeah. yeah, no, no, I don't have, I was just going to say, um, my, uh, profane life has been, uh, rather, um, dull, N- nothing going on too much. That's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, so yeah, we can just jump right into these readings if you want. Sure. If you're ready, then yeah. let's do it. Okay. 24th Sunday, uh, in ordinary time, year A. Yes. So our first reading is from Sirach, which right. is... A fascinating book. Its full title is The Wisdom of Jesus, Son of Sirach. And if you have your Bible with you, your Bible may not have this book. Mm. You have to check. The reason why it doesn't have that book is because it's one of the deuterocanonical books, actually. But it's it's considered to be the 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 climax. It comes at the end of the wisdom books, and it's considered to be sort of the climax of the the wisdom literature. Okay. Right. That it goes back and summarizes many of the teachings found in the wisdom literature so far, but integrates them into a wisdom perspective, but also hits on things that perhaps the other books didn't explicitly, such as the law, the liturgy, and salvation history. Yeah. It kind of adds a little bit of commentary on them. And the wisdom books, the wisdom the actual book, and then this book also deals with some things that might be considered philosophical. In a sense, the, it deals with issues of of evil mm-hmm. and free will. So it, it's a it's a very, like I said, it's a very fascinating book, but it's also a controversial book as to why it was taken out of the out of the canon of scripture, why it's included in the canon of scripture. It was one of the books found in Hebrew. In the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay. Yeah. I felt like there was a point in seminary where we were always talking about the, the Dead, Dead Sea, sea Scrolls. Scrolls. Yeah, <laughs> <I know>. it, was, <laughs> it was such a momentous find, but right. uh, medieval Judaism rejected uh, Sirach, Sirach yeah. uh, partly for the fact that they didn't have it in its original Hebrew. They only had it in Greek. I see. And then later, Protestantism also rejected it mm-hmm. um, on similar grounds, uh, but... And I think actually St. Jerome questioned the how Did come he really? out, okay. if it was if it was an inspired book, but ultimately submitted to the authority of the church. And it was good that he did because if part of the reason was that it was not found in the original, in, in the original Hebrew, Hebrew, well now we found it. So now we found it exactly. in the original Hebrew. Exactly. So it does make one wonder whether it should the Holy Spirit was at work there. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's a, it not only I think was it found in Hebrew, but 
the Hebrew and the Greek translations are very good. Really? Okay. They match very well. Um, and my Greek teacher in seminary said that, you know, Christians got a hold of the New Testament and they were just spreading it. They were just throwing it. Like everybody was translating it. Right. Everybody was just interpreting it and it just, it spread everywhere. He said, but with Judaism, that wasn't the same thing. They didn't spread their scriptures. So when you see <clears throat> one translation to the other or one copying to the other, it's very, very well done. It's very exact. Right, right. Whereas, you know, in, in the New Testament, it's why we have so many manuscripts. Right. So many people were, like I said, copying. Yeah. That. Well, I it heard, gets messy. It, you know, my um, scripture professor said that um, the Old Testament uh, translations were uh, were so carefully done that if the translator saw a, even a grammatical error in the original text, he wouldn't fix it. He would just leave the grammatical error there. Yes. Um, and so that just speaks to the exactness. Right, of, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Peugeot actually had a, a little short video on that, oh, um, on, on the, the uh, even these like, little grammatical yeah. errors, and that as part of the idea was that this was still inspired. Like even this, right. like even, even the, the mistakes right, were inspired. Were almost, right. Like there's a reason why it's like, well, this seems to contradict this. And it's like, well, just just copy it. Yeah. Like it'll like kind of all sort itself out. What was the um the the famous the most popular line he kept going back to, he kept repeating, is the bow of the the bow the bows of the mighty is broken. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be the bows of the mighty are broken. And uh he just got so excited over this point. He's like, The bows of the mighty is broken and we're like, Okay, <laughs> we get it. Right. <laughs> so but um that stuck with me. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's um uh, like I said, very fascinating book. I highly suggest it. Yeah. We, we should uh, go through it one time because this one and, like I said, the, the Book of Wisdom uh, deal with very... Uh, the Book of Sirach or the Book of Wisdom? Both. Okay. Sirach oh, and, okay. then, and the Book of Wisdom deal with um, surprising issues, again, you think of mainly about salvation and advice or whatever, but... These books are dealing with philosophical issues, right? And it's, it's well, and wisdom, philosophy, lover right. of wisdom. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's, there's that Greek Hellenistic connection that we all love. You know, yeah. <laughs> that we all love. Seminarians <laughs> uh, go nuts over. So, <laughs> <laughs> but today's particular passage from Sirach is dealing with the nature of forgiveness. Yeah, and it takes place in a part of of Sirach that is talking about or giving advice to the mature man. So it's typically in, in scholarship seen as the the section of the book about guidance to the mature. So it's talking about integrity, friendship, and perhaps dangers to integrity, which could be considered malice, anger, vengeance, mm-hmm. uh, evil, evil tongue, they say. The you know, back, you know, backbiting and, and things like that. Right. So the message is that the, the the man of maturity, the mature man, is one who avoids vengeance and possesses a forgiving heart. Right. So that's where our first reading takes off, where wisdom counsels the mature man against wrath and against hatred, and that the vengeful will suffer the Lord's vengeance, for he remembers their sins in detail. Yeah. Forgive your neighbor's injustice. Then when you pray, your own sins shall be forgiven. So this is uh, a big point that I want to focus on, is that you're, uh, the measure by which you're forgiven is 
the standard by which you forgive others, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it seems like your ability to forgive others stems from a remembrance of your own sins and how you have new life in God. Uh, my favorite part of this passage is towards the end where the author encourages you know, his audience, remember your last days, set enmity aside, remember death and decay and cease from sin. Think of the commandments, hate not your number, remember the Most High's covenant. So this remember is said three times. And it's this sense of recalling, well, it's just almost like this poetic uh, 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 opposite um, motif here. Remember your last days, remember the future, right? And going mm -hmm. back into the past to remember where you're going. Uh, T.S. Eliot has a famous line in his um, Four Quartets, um, in the end is my beginning. In the end is my beginning. Uh, and I think that that's a really similar idea. It's like once we're able to perceive where our li lives are going, that we have an end, that we will face the eternal judge. That can put your life into its proper context. And you won't be so blinded by your like, offenses done to you in the present. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. You know, like, you know, when, when you die, it's going to be you and God, not everybody else and you and God, right? right. Um, but also just because, you know, we do have an end and there is, uh, you know, our present moment doesn't define us. It can't define us. It's, it's our past and our future. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that, that idea of uh, in the end of my, is my beginning. If you can uh, perceive what your life is building towards that contextualizes the present and allows you to act correctly in the present. Right. So. Well, this is um, the the characteristic of, of humanity, right, is that the fact that you can conceptualize things that haven't happened. You you, you can yeah. plan for the future. Right. And you have this this almost paradox, as you said, of, of remembering something that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, right. It's exactly. like, you know, your, your dog doesn't do this. Right. You know, this is something that is, that is given to you for your benefit for, for something like this. I, I also thought this was a, an interesting point that remember your last days, remember death and decay as mm. this, uh, obviously like a memento mori, remember your death yeah. motif of in the end, it won't really matter. It's, yep. it's the, the hate that you, you hold on to will only be to your detriment. Yeah, exactly. So death puts all things into perspective. And I'm I'm sure if you you might have already, and if you haven't, you probably will meet people who come to the end of their lives and say, "I need to make things right." Like it, it's mm -hmm. you know they they haven't spoken to siblings or they haven't spoken to um, to uh, their parents or something like that. But as soon as death comes, it's like you know what? There's something about death that that the, like a judgment is coming. Yeah, and the judgment's going to be your unforgiving heart. Yep. and I need to set set it all right but on the flip side there's there's something very tragic about someone who dies in bitterness hmm. in unforgiveness yeah you know it would again you've probably you, know, you may have seen both or you will see both that when someone dies in peace and they're they're trying to create harmony before they go that there's something uplifting mm -hmm. when they pass you say you know they, they did the right thing and i hope they died in peace but when there's those who say you know i don't want anything to do with these other people, there's like a heaviness, yeah, almost to to their passing. It, it's not joyful, right? So I think 
you're right, Sirach is trying to to warn you and say, you know, in, in the end, it's not going to be all these other people. In the end, judge will be, you know, death will be your ultimate judge. And uh, he says something earlier about, you know, um, they they cling to their sins. You know, the the, pe- the unforgiving yes. hold their hold yeah, their the, sins. The sinner tight. hugs them tight. Yeah, and it's and. In death, it's like, do you want to hug that into death? You know, right, exactly. Do you exactly. want to bring or, that with you? Right. The sense of like letting go, right? Uh. And I think this is um, this is why Ignatius put, Ignatius of Loyola, he had his his frequent meditations on death. Yes, like the frequent I thought of that. Examination of conscience yep. that, you know, you have the examination in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're meeting the day head on, so it's where... What am I trying to work on? What are the sins I might encounter, and how can I overcome them? Right. Then you have kind of the the mid afternoon. Uh, if you kind of you can almost put it all, you can put it one day in a cosmic lifetime, right? The beginning of life, the mid the way of life. Yep. And of course, you have your evening examination, like the examination before death. It's that you may meet your maker at any point of these days. Right. Are you is is your conscience at peace? Mm-hmm. Yep. Have, have you been forgiving? That's um. Ultimately, that's that's a hallmark of wisdom, is remembering death, and that's what the psalmist says. Uh, Let us know the shortness of our lives, so that we may gain wisdom of heart. Right. right. Uh, and so, I think wisdom is intrinsically tied to realizing that we all come to an end. To remember your death, uh, and you know, going back to the this idea of wisdom of seeing a. a the bigger picture, right? Even outside of your own perspective. Um, death grants us the biggest picture of our lives that we can possibly have. Uh, it encompasses our entire lives, not any specific moment in time. So you also have this idea at the end of uh, the last line of this passage uh, from Sirach, remember the Most High's covenant and overlook faults. I think the covenant, you know, this covenant as like the bond, um, your the bond that defines your relationship with God. As you are forgiven, so you should forgive others, right? As you are allowed to enter into a peaceful relationship with the Most High, you who are an innocent, uh, not innocent, right, guilty, um, before He who is perfect, how much more should you forgive others? You know, who you who are so imperfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can definitely see. Hints of the the Our Father in this, yeah, you know right. that hate you know you know as you forgive, as the Father forgives you, so shall you forgive. Yeah, um, the ending of this uh, passage from Sirach, you know, warns against what we were talking about, you know, last week and what Matt, what Saint Matthew has been working through, which is this precept of love your neighbor, love God, that you you shall not hate your neighbor, because in hating your neighbor. You're also hating God, mm-hmm. right? Because although it it it's usually the twofold precept of love of neighbor, and love of God. Technically speaking, it's it's one, and right? The same, yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, yep. it's it's the precept of charity that in loving your neighbor you love God, right? In loving God you love your neighbor, right? So if you if you hate your neighbor, you can't possibly say that you love God, yeah, and that will recoil on you in unforgiveness, right? Exactly, yeah. and it's actually. If you hate your neighbor and you are trying to love God, it's really impossible because you're not seeing – I think you would have a, a 
a twisted idea of who God is. Because you're not seeing that everything and everyone comes from God. It's almost like, it's like, you know, a loving an artist's art, but hating the artist. It's like, they're, they're intrinsically connected somehow, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, maybe you don't, yeah, may, the analogy starts to fall apart if you, you know, really pick it apart. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, if, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to love God properly, that's going to imply that you love what he has also um, given, you know, and created. Uh, you know, the, 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 like you can, you can begin to see the identity of an artist in the artist's work. Um, and so you can't, yeah, again, you, those two commandments to love God and neighbor are not two, but one. Um, mm-hmm. They're more connected, I think, than people realize sometimes. So. Well, as St. John says in his first letter, you know, how do you love the God that you cannot see? Right, yeah, exactly. You know, and hate the brother yeah. that you can see. You know, it's, yep. it's much easier to love the things you, you can see. We're sensible creatures. So if you're saying, I hate my neighbor, it's like, well, then there's no way you love God. Right. Like, you know, or if you do, I, I think people can deceive themselves with that. Sure, and yeah, absolutely. Because God yeah. is sort of, can be, he, he can be a abstract concept. Yeah. You can kind of deceive yourself and say, well, I, I struggle with my neighbors, but I do love God. Right. Well, and, and I think that at that point, um, a, a person would be falling in love with their own idea of God, essentially. Right. Because it's so abstract. You start to fill in the blanks and you just create your own image of mm-hmm. who you think God is. So, I, I think at the beginning of going, you know, kind of jumping around, beginning, and beginning, and But back at the beginning of this passage where he talks about letting go of vengeance, it makes me think of just how supernatural I think forgiveness is. Hmm. That it's much more natural for us to be vengeful creatures than it is to be forgiving. Right, yeah, totally. That if someone wrongs you, as it appears in this reading, right? You forgive your neighbor's injustice. So the idea is... Perhaps the mature man does have a reason to be eventual that this person committed an injustice against them, and it's. I think the first feeling is, I'm going to get what I'm going to get mine back. Yeah, I'm going to get you back. Yep. But it takes almost a supernatural motive to overcome that. Yeah. And say that actually vengeance is not the norm for us. It's it's perhaps natural to fallen man, but for redeemed man, forgiveness. Yeah. Should be the norm. You know, and that's um this is this is something that Christ when he whenever he's teaching, it essentially undergirds all of his um statements. You know, his um pedagogy, the way in he, in which he teaches, typically starts with what is conventional and natural, and then he implements a higher standard, right? So, you know, he would typically say, You have heard it said, right? Um, this is what's conventional uh in society. But then he says, but I say to you, mm-hmm. right? And so this higher standard of living, that is supernatural. It, it does require grace, uh, but that doesn't mean that you know, we're not called to live it. Just because it's a high standard doesn't mean that, um, A, that we're not called to live it, and B, that it's impossible to live, right? right. Um, but you know, as it pertains to uh, vengeance, our Lord would say, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? That's what's natural. It's natural to want to... Um, establish justice in your own way, right? You took mm-hmm. something from me, I'm going to take some something from you, now we're even. Um, 
But I say to you, love your, you know, love your enemies. Um, it, it seems it, it is actually, a, it is a very high standard. I think for, uh, forgiving your enemies is probably the hardest thing that we can, that we're called to do. Um, but that's what Christ shows on the cross, right? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Right. Um, right. Uh, so in a sense, we're following in his footsteps and he showed us how to do that. And so as man, as you know, yes, he's the God man, but as man, he shows us that it is possible through him. Uh, yeah, I think so. w- once again on the cross, Christ tries to to break apart that cycle, right, of cycle of revenge yeah. and the cycle of violence, and show natural man a supernatural way mm-hmm. that you have lived as though vengeance is is natural to you, and no one teaches you vengeance. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I'm sure if you if you go to a daycare. <laughs> you know, you don't. You know, when a kid does something wrong to another kid or steals, that there's no teaching them that that they should get revenge. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they know what has to be taught is is to forgive. Yep. So Christ is 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 not just saying that, but he's modeling that. Yeah. Ultimately, on the cross, that yep. I I'm being put to death by my own creatures and my own children. However, when I am resurrected, I will not seek vengeance on them. Yeah. And even in this moment, I will not seek vengeance on them. In a sense, they the people at the foot of the cross actually tempt him to vengeance. Yeah, right. They say, go, come down. Yeah. In a sense, like... Get, yeah, you saved others, can't you save yourself? Right, save right? yourself. Yeah. And in fact, if you are if you are who you say you are, get revenge right now. Yeah. Take it, take it out on me. Right. Here I am, and you're the son of God, or so you say. Yeah. But Christ refuses yeah. power in that moment and says, actually... Forgiveness is the higher path, yeah, and is the way to reconciliation, which is why I came. Yeah, to exactly. Yeah, exactly. Man and through that God. act is where we're reconciled to God. Like man is reconciled to God. So, right. Um, you know that reminds me kind of of. Uh, have you studied Pico della Mirandola? Mira, Mira, Mirandola, Pico della Mirandola. So. It was an elective I took in seminary. Um, in Renaissance philosophy. And uh, we went over him very quickly. But he explained that the, you know, the the chain of being, uh, mm-hmm. where you have God at the top, angels, man, animals, plant life, in this hierarchy of being, where man was peculiarly in the middle. And by his powers, uh, he can choose to descend to the animal state or ascend to the angelic state. And that's what made man um, unique in the chain of being, is by his freedom, he can act like a chameleon, almost. And it's through this directive uh, of Christ saying, like, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's calling us to act in such a way that is almost not beyond our nature, because it is within our nature to um, become holy, um, or at least to become perfect by the order of grace. Um, but we're acting more like the angels than man, right? So when we forgive, um, we essentially, you know, to use Pico's um, analogy, we're climbing up the ladder of being, right? Yes. We're acting like the angels. Yeah. Becoming perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, now, the, these are the high standards that the, that Christ sets for us, but we also, you know, as a caveat, and this is a little, straying a little bit from the readings, but we do have... Um, uh, an abundance of mercy as well in oh, living yeah. out this life, right? And so this is the 
um, almost like the, the twofold twofold ways in which uh, we approach the sacramental life of the church is that we're striving for perfection. The church has these standards of perfection, but in our journey towards perfection, we have the sacraments, uh, especially confession, um, that we can turn to. So extreme demands and extreme mercy, right? Uh, and so be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Like be like God, essentially, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> um, high standard, yes, but that's that's what being Christian means. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, so what are you to do? <laughs> right. As Pope Benedict said, you're not made for comfort. You're made for greatness. Yes. And, so. you know, I was, I was just um, teaching this to my class um, yesterday uh, in my apologetics class, um, my senior class, um, talking about Christianity as a uh, warm blanket. (laughs) Um, You know, one objection that people might have to a belief in God and Christianity both is that you you just need a crutch in life, right? Like, uh, you know, believing God is just uh, to make you feel comfortable about your own sins and if you're really mature, then you don't need that crutch and you can just, you know, live life um, free from these ancient superstitions. And ultimately, it, it, that objection is so antithetical to what Christianity really is. Uh, you know, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something along the lines of Christianity is not a blanket, it's the cross, right? Uh, you know, the, the biggest sign in the church um, that hangs over the altar is not you know a, 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 like a comforting image. It's a man dying and suffering, right? And that's um, that's what Christianity is. Um, it's actually more. It, it's actually we put ourselves through, uh, hold ourselves to higher standards than a life without Christ and without God. That's what Christianity should be. Maybe some pop, you know, um, sections of Christianity <laughs> um, might twist that. Um, but if you're not embracing the cross and trying to live the cross and growing growing towards that goal of perfection, you're, you're doing Christianity wrong. So at the center of all, of all that, you know, to bring it back to the readings, <laughs> is, uh, is that forgiveness of enemies, something that yeah. is so contrary to our, like you said, your fallen natural state. Well, I, I liked what you said about the, the chain of being, though, as it pertains to forgiveness, because uh, St. John the Cross talks about uh, the animal man or the animal self, and he gets this from St. Paul. Yeah. Uh, I think in our translations, it's usually the natural man. But if you look in, in the Greek, and especially in the Latin, it's animalis, mm-hmm. so animal. So the, the animal man is, or the or the animal self is someone who gratifies, right? Kind of the desires, and you are more like an animal when you give in to revenge, yep, and the the desires of hatred and and resentment, and that you are actually more angelic when you reject that yeah, and exactly. choose forgiveness that that places you higher on this this um, level of being going towards you know the ultimate goal you know holiness but you know as, as saint john would say it's actually deification hmm. to become one with god exactly. in, in order to become yeah. one with god you can't gratify these sinful desires of revenge right you know, if god is not a vengeful god you shouldn't be either. Yeah. You know, if God isn't seeking revenge, you shouldn't seek revenge, or if Christ isn't. So I I, I like that a lot. It yeah. moves you moves you more. It's more angelic to forgive. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the powers of our own freedom, working with grace, of course, we are like those, like he said, a chameleon 
that can choose to ascend up the, the, the ladder of being, the chain of being. Um, nice. I like that. So moving into the second reading, I think there's, there's a good connection here because St. Paul is saying that believers have an accountability to God. Mm-hmm. He, he says that you know, none of us lives for oneself, no one dies for oneself. For, when, for if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. So, so everything we do is supposed to be for, for God. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, uh, it, it ties to the first reading insofar as when we forgive, it is ultimately rooted in that love of God. Yeah. Because we don't belong to ourselves and we're not free to gratify ourselves or gratify our desire for revenge. We're right. actually Christ. And if we belong to Christ, it means that we can't. Exactly. Do that. And this idea that he's saying, none of us lives for oneself and no, no one dies for oneself. It's forgiveness is a communal act, right? It allows you to connect and love others in peace. Uh, when you shut yourself off from forgiveness, hold on to your sin, uh, you become isolated. And so you are not living for the Lord or f- even for your neighbor. Or, you know, but neighbor and Lord, again, as we discussed, is kind of tied together, right? Right. And so uh, it, it's it's intrinsically an unselfish communal act to forgive. Right. So uh, it's... It's uh, it's it's interesting because in this in this passage in the like kind of expanded passage he talks about uh, the extended edition. Yeah, the extended edition. <laughs> uh, he talks about you know, eating and drinking. You know, so even mm. these mundane things, you're supposed to seek the honor of God in your behavior. Yeah, and it goes all the way down to eating, drinking, uh, eating and drinking, yeah. and then all the way up to. Do you reject revenge and and forgive your neighbor? Yeah, exactly. Do you, or do you become Christ-like, or do you again? Do you go all the way down and you just eat and drink like an animal? Yeah, exactly. Everything we do, and and that's again that goes back to this idea of remembrance. I think um, when you remember the Most High's covenant, then you're able to live angelically. Uh, you're able to live um, according to Christ's laws. I think it's when you, if forgetfulness is like the root of so many of our sins, essentially. Yeah. Uh, you know, you forget God's presence in your life. You forget where your life is going. Um, you know, you 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 just live in the present, uh, wallowing in your sin, eating and drinking, uh, shutting yourself off from others. Uh, it's 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 like a blindness to, from to your past and future. Um, I think that's a, a perfect connection to the gospel, actually, because the chief defect of our memory, someone like St. John of the Cross would say, or spiritual writers, is forgetfulness of God. Yes, yeah. That's the chief defect. And mm-hmm. in the parable of the unforgiving servant, that's ac- that's actually his defect. Yes, is yeah, He exactly. forgets... What has been done to him. What has yeah. been done to him. Exactly. You, you know, or perhaps maybe worse, because if he forgot... If he forgot you might be you you might be more lenient and say, okay, well, you know, he he didn't know. Right. Or it's worse and he said, actually I do remember, but I don't care. Mm, right. You know, this ingratitude. Yeah. Right. That could be even 
worse. Even right. worse. But we'll say that you know maybe he forgot. But right before that, it's interesting. Uh, or uh, right before the parable, there's a, a section where um, Peter goes to Christ oh, yeah. and says, you know, how, how many times? How many times do I have to forgive? And he gives him the you know seventy times. 77 times 7. Yeah, you know. not seven times. but So, yeah, Peter approaches Jesus. Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Right. And Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, is it this the number seven um, refers to, like, perfection, right? right. And yeah. eternity. So, but Peter is approaching him saying, should I forgive... What I'm, I'm guess, I guess what I'm wondering is why is Peter using the number seven, and then what is our Lord getting at with using seven like three times, right? In his um, right. response, right? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, there's, there's obviously, um, you know, as all church fathers, there's a lot of symbolic interpretations of what the the, the number seven can mean. Mm-hmm. And seven, as you said, is perfection. So do I forgive him uh, out of this, out of the perfect number, right? Mm-hmm. Or uh, do I forgive him uh, if if I keep this law? I, I think that might be a better way to interpret it. If I keep this law of forgiveness and keep it within the parameters of the law, let's say, mm. I, I'm perfect, right? Yeah. But Christ is saying, as as we were saying before, Go beyond right. the law. Okay. I'm yeah. here to say to go yeah. beyond just what is required. Right. That's and, what love does. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's the you know the law of love, and this is why you know Saint Paul is so adamant in his letters, is that you know, love has replaced the law essentially, mm. uh, and so that yeah then no that's that's I think that's exactly right. And Peter is saying like you know right if I just follow the law. Am I good? Right. <laughs> and and Christ is saying, uh, seven not seven times, but seventy seven times, and saying like you know, unto the ages of ages. <laughs> right well, no, well, yeah, exactly, because that's how again, along with many church fathers interpreting the number seven symbolically, but there's also that they would say that Christ's response is not a definite number. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just exactly. It should be limitless yeah. is what i'm trying to say right like don't think in terms of just adhering to the law and just strict justice yeah uh, which we can get into uh right you know no, forgiveness that's... is a part of justice however with the christian it's not just the eye for the eye, eye for eye yeah. which is justice right you right. you take this i take that but he's now saying i'm adding charity yeah into this which right. complicates the nature of Forgiveness, right. and I'm asking you to go beyond it, right. that. Right, and because if, if Christ were to just act within the standards of the law, you know, he might have just come only for the Jews, right? Or, right. you know, he maybe, I don't know, he, that's part of the scandal of the cross is that he who was so innocent, like, offered his life for the entire world, even his captors, right, and, and his, uh, and his uh, murderers, that, that was the law of love. Uh, that it was for everyone. There wasn't this sense of you owe me, I owe you, you know, putting, you know, our deeds on a scale. But it was this total outpouring um, that was not measured. So, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, so that's the the first section of the gospel. And then it moves into the parable mm-hmm. where he says that there was a servant 
you know, servant of a king who owed a large, a huge amount. Yeah. Um, since he had no way of paying it back, the master ordered him to be sold along with his wife, his children, and all his property in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, fell down and did him homage, saying, be patient with me and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's interesting that our, our Lord sets this scene up with a debt that if it's unable to be paid back, the, the, the a repercussion is that it's not only him, but his wife and children, all his property are to uh, be, uh, be given over to the king, essentially. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of like the fall in Genesis, right? Where, you know, Adam and Eve ate the apple, offended God. And it wasn't just them who were punished, but it was actually all of creation. Their children oh, too. Yeah. Um, their property, like the entire created order now suffers from that, right? Um, but just like in the parable, like we see in Genesis that uh, God was not finished with them, right? He, he actually forgave them their debts through, through Christ's sacrifice. So. Yeah, this, this huge amount yeah. is... That, unpayable. That, that oh. unpayable debt of sin. Yeah, yeah. You know, that to keep your, your analogy, your image going, is Adam has this sin that's passed down to everybody, and it's so big that he can't pay it, his wife can't pay it, yeah. his progeny, his children, even even the property, you know, no amount of, I guess you could symbolically say the property is, you know, the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament. It's like there's right. no amount of sheep and there's no amount of goats right. or, or Lebanon grain. would not suffice for fuel, right? Yeah, you know, there you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, right from the <laughs> right from the breviary. Right from the breviary. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, you can't, there's nothing you can give. Yeah. You know, and, and also from the Psalms, you know, God says, do you think I drink the blood of goats? Do you yeah. think I need these? Right, exactly. You know, so there's some debt that he cannot pay. Yeah. But the master's forgiving and says, you know, because you begged me, I forgive you the loan. But... It all goes downhill. Yeah. Because <laughs> then that servant who was just forgiven says, uh, when the servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. Seized, he, they seized, he seized him and started to choke him, demanding payback, which you owe. But as the fellow servant falls down, begs for forgiveness, it says the same thing. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Mm-hmm. But the servant refused. Instead, he had his fellow servant put in prison until the bet the debt was paid back. Yeah. So, again, we, we talked about he forgot the mercy. Yeah, exactly. That he was just it's shown. Yeah, forgetfulness is, and is the key here. In the first reading, Sirach said, "You know, how can you nourish hatred and expect healing from the Lord? How could you refuse mercy to another like himself?" Yeah. So this is that servant is. You are both debtors. How can you refuse mercy to a fellow debtor? Yeah. You, you both are in the, the same boat here. But yeah. he did. And, you know, that, I think that that's what makes um, Christ's universal sacrifice for all personal, is that when we move away from that sacrifice in our own lives and, and we're not able to show the love that's been given to us to others, then that loan that we were forgiven is put right back on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what's going on here. 
Yeah, because so. the king calls him back and says, you know, what's this I hear? Yeah. Uh, you know, I forgave you your debt, but you wouldn't forgive a fellow servant's debt. Yeah. So I'm going to place you in prison. I'm going to put the debt back on you. Now, on one hand, sin doesn't like come back like that. You know, it's like when you... No, it sh- sure. Yeah. But it's the sin of ingratitude that makes those sins come back, right. if that makes sense. Right. It, it's not that they actually come back, but being ungrateful for mercy and forgiveness will have those sins naturally re- redound to right. you. Right, you, you exactly. will You'll fall back into the same ones. Um, yep. And I think not only forgetting God, but he also, I think, is trapped in his own prison or in his own hell because he can't see outside of himself to another. I mean, this is part of, I think, forgiveness and mercy of your neighbor is when you consider your own misery, mm-hmm. then you look at your neighbor and say, well, you're actually just like me. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and right. You have your you have your own si- sinfulness as I do, and I've been forgiven of so many things. Yeah, maybe I should also forgive you. Yeah, exactly. So, but you, it's almost as if the, the servant, in a sense, begged for forgiveness out of fear, as opposed to out of like a true repentance. Sure, right. No, I think that um that that point of ingratitude is so important. Uh, Right when you are given something uh, that's so beyond what what you could have expected, love from Almighty God, um, that that should influence the entire way that you live your life. Uh, and it is when you, you know, is earlier on it says that um, the king was moved with compassion. It was a sense of um, compassion is a uh, like co-suffering, right? Like right. suffering Just, with, yeah. uh, and so. Seeing someone else who is like you, uh, suffering the way you did. If you're really internalizing the grace of God in your life, uh, then you should say like, "Wow!" Like He's going to experience that same love, you know, that, that that I received. And so, wouldn't you want that for that person? If you don't, then it, yeah, not only are you forgetting, but it is also a sense of ingratitude, where it's like you're squabbling what you know or squandering. What you've been, um, what you've been given. I think one of the um, one part that really struck me in this um, in this passage was when uh, when he had when the servant had his fellow servant put in prison until he paid back his debt. Um, it says here that his fellow servant saw what happened and they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. Um, this idea of being deeply disturbed by this image of someone who's been forgiven treating someone as horribly as they should have been treated. treated, um, I think it gets to how we Christians are, in a sense, examples in the world, whether we like it or not, of the faith. And mm. this yeah. is what I think deters so many people from the faith is that Christians, for the most part, don't live out. They're they're not they're not living in gratitude for the grace that they've been given, and it's so easy to point to people like, "Why would I be a Christian when you Christians all act the same?" Right? Um, the scandal, like the, the, you can even think of like the church's scandals. It's like you know these people pretend to be holy, 
and then they they treat other people even worse than, sometimes than you know non-believers, right? Um, and I think it is deeply disturbing when we see that. Um, you know, this this servant in the gospel should have been an example of joy, saying like, I have just been forgiven a huge debt. My family and all my property are safe now. Like, and then to see him now angry, it's it is disturbing. I think like that term that they were deeply disturbed is it it, it strikes to the heart of um, how we perceive people that are not, you know, that just live uh, w- without gratitude and without um, rec- recognition of what they've been given. That's a great point about the the scandal of unforgiveness. Yeah, I, I think that you're right that there are people watching. Yeah, and, you can't escape that. And now you, you don't do that because they're watching. Yeah. But that you are a witness, whether it can, you know whether you like it or not. And the difference it could have been had the servant seen the other one and said, you know what, I know you owe me something, but I was just forgiven a much bigger debt. And then who am I to hold this debt against you? I forgive you your debt. Yeah. You know, perhaps the servants would have reported that. Right. And said, you know, this servant is, is you know, a good man. Right. You know, maybe he deserves, you know, more or something. But yeah. instead, you're right. I think I think that's a really good reminder for Christians about the nature of forgiveness and their and their public witness yeah. of it. Um, because I think all it's it's just as we said at the beginning, it's all too easy to fall into a desire for revenge. It's so natural. Yeah. It's so easy, but that your witness may in fact, be the catalyst for something else. Yeah, exactly. For, for you have no people. idea how your actions in public affect others, for yeah. good or for ill, right? Right. Um, you know, always remember that someone is watching, even if it's only God. <laughs> uh, God is always watching. That's, God is always watching. That's that. true. Um, but right, ima- imagine if this servant had lived in joy and gratitude, forgave others. Um, he would have been an example of like, oh wow, look how freely he lives because the king was so gracious, right? It would have it would have reflected positively back onto the king, right? Um, you know, I think this servant was called to be uh, an example of uh, joy in his community that would speak to the love of the king. Yeah, right? that's that's true because yeah. his witness isn't just wow, look at this guy, but it actually would have been look at the graciousness of the king. So yeah, your exactly. unforgiveness is a scandal to the to, king to god yeah, yeah, yeah to exactly. the king because people yeah. say oh wow if if this is how his servants act yeah well what is the king like right exactly so yeah so your your scandal isn't just oh your personal witness and and what people think of you but it's, it's what people think of god and christianity yeah. at, lar- at, at large yeah exactly that you know it's like well clearly the teachings of christ can't be that powerful or, or that penetrative into your heart because you don't forgive, and yeah. Christ forgave. So, I guess it's 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 one is as good as the other when it comes to religious teachings. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's two really good points about yeah. scandal and and uh, what it, it actually rebounds to the king. Yeah, or reflects on the king. And I mean, we you know we we see this all the time, and and we've probably fallen it fallen we have fallen into it ourselves. You know, think about like when you're leaving mass. And you're just racing out of the parking lot and just like you it's you almost forget what you've just been given at mass, right? The reality of the mass. Uh, you just go on with your daily lives. And it's so easy to even in the parking lot, if someone cuts you off, you know, you're just like immediately oh, yeah. you just like 
forget that I've just been, you know, forgiven at mass and, and received our Lord. Like, how dare you cut cut me off in traffic, right? <laughs> right, right. That's, the, again, the, the naturalness of uh, revenge. Um, right. So You know, Peter, at the beginning of this gospel passage, is the one that asks, you know, how, how much do I have to forgive? And it later, I think, you know, he was thinking in the parameters of the law, but it's not until he is forgiven by Christ at the end of the gospel where he mm. really understands what what it means to forgive. Right. It's like, well, is it, do I stay in the law? You know, how many times is it? And then it's when he denies Christ, one of the worst possible things you can do. Right. But Peter's heart is completely changed when he experiences the goodness of God's and goodness of Christ's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That's when he realizes, oh, this is the nature of, of forgiveness. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So naturally... What comes up when you discuss forgiveness is the question of, do you forget? Do you forgive and do you forget? <laughs> this is a question that I've been wrestling with all week. Ooh. And Sounds personal. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of a de- desire for revenge. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is, this, is what, this is what I came to. With the help of the catechism, actually. Okay, that's a good is, place to start. Yeah. Is it's impossible to keep the Lord's commandment b- by imitating him from, from the outside, right? It's a vital participation. Christ is saying, as I have forgiven, so you forgive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, going back to the Our Father. So, but this... Participation is not the Old Testament sacrifice of forgiveness of, of rams and goats and, and sheep, but from the depths of your heart, which is how the gospel ends, that so will my he- heavenly Father do to you unless you forgive your brother from your hearts. So we have to have this participation and embodiment in the same mind of Christ and then forgiveness becomes possible in the same spirit of Christ. Mm-hmm. But it seems as though we are also being called to overlook or forget what has been done. But as the Catechism says, it's not always in our power to feel or to forget an offense. But the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in mm. transforming the hurt into intercession. Mm, interesting. So I want to want to focus on that. That's interesting. Yeah. So emotions and thoughts can come unbidden to us. They just kind of they they disappear. You know, yeah. you have a memory. You know, someone who hurt you in the past. You see them and the memory comes up or they do something and the memory comes up or the feeling comes up. So it's, it's not that that's the problem because, you, you, like I said, you can't control that. It, it's much analogous to sin. It's that the initial impulse isn't the problem. It's what do you do with the impulse? Right. So when you remember the hurt, do you let it fester? Do you let it transform into a desire for revenge or when you see that person the feelings and the memories come up you turn them t- 
to intercession for that person. Right. Out of love, saying, you know what? Yeah. You hurt me, and I'm going through my own process of healing with you, but I'm going to also pray that you are healed. Right. From your, your pain. So then it would seem like forgiving does not necessarily forget, but it transforms the memory into a motive to love them even more. In yes. A sense. Yeah, exactly. Because I would say, st- strictly speaking, it is not necessary or possible to forget. No, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and we even see that with the king. He did not forgive and forget. He forgave and expected that servant to forgive in the manner in which he forgave. Right. Right. And so when a servant's brought back to him, it's not like, uh, who are you? Right. It's, right. He remembers the whole account. Uh, and he says, you know, I, you should have pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you. It's this re- recalling and remembering of everything that has been forgiven. Right. Um, and so, yeah, this forgive and forget thing, I don't know where that came from. That's like, <laughs> it's not. It's like is, the, it's, it's along with the cliches of you're okay, I'm okay, yeah. like, we're all good. The same pop know? Christianity that said Christianity is like a warm blanket. Right? Yeah. It's the same right. thing. <laughs> right. I, I do really like this, this imagery, though, of the purification of the memory, which is something from St. John of the Cross. Mm-hmm. It's probably a drinking game now, how many times I say him in this episode. But I don't know, that's like the third or fourth time. Um, but purification of the memory and transforming the hurt into intercession, I right. think is very much the Christian way to go about it. And mm-hmm. it's 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 in it's in the memory that you you remember your past sins and you can't possibly wipe clean your memory. And that's not what's being asked of you. But what is being asked of you is that you add charity to this pain mm-hmm. and that you remember the good of the other. Exactly, yeah. And that it's, it's hard to remember this, but to know that when someone hurts you, they are in fact hurting themselves. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, and when you look at the crucified Christ, or I'm sorry, the risen Christ, you know, he still keeps his nail marks and his, his you know, uh, all the wounds yeah. that he endured. His resurrected body does not forget what has happened, Right. But it's actually through those wounds where he shows and proves his love. It's not like he forgot right. what he's done for humanity. That wouldn't right. make any sense. So. Right. The, the sin comes in when you start nourishing and nursing the pain. Right. And, right. and holding it old, over the person. Right. Which, I, which I, I like that image of, you said, transforming the memory, right? Uh, letting it, it's still there, but it, it's, it's how you perceive it uh, and, and, and what you do with it. Uh, so not necessarily replacing it or forgetting it, um, but transforming it. That's yeah, totally. And I think with the parable of the of the servant, the king was willing to forgive on the basis of true repentance. So of course this is mm-hmm. part of the the equation, but because there wasn't true repentance, the sins were recalled right. and remembered. But yeah. if you are truly repentant, God will forgive you. Mm-hmm. But it's again, if you if if not, then it seems as though he does in fact hold the sins against you. Yeah, they, they cling to you as as we said at the beginning. Yeah, it's um, it does maybe by way of unless you have some more thoughts. No, no, yeah, okay. um, maybe by way of some concluding thoughts. It does make me think about the future of reconciliation or forgiveness as 
you know, to borrow a Nietzschean phrase, Ooh. as the twilight of you know God kind of wanes, as as the death of God you know take root takes root in people's hearts and minds. What what do we do about forgiveness? Because the central question of religion in in much of human life is what do we do with retaliation? What do we do with guilt? What do we do with forgiveness? Or is there is there such thing? Or is it all just a cycle, an eternal cycle of revenge? Mm. And I I do truly believe that forgiveness is rooted again in in supernatural grace and a supernatural motive, I should, at the very least. Yes. And, with, and if you take that yeah. out, it's not clear to me. If you say, you know, if you take out God, which is then the root of human dignity and, and such, if you take that equation out, wh- what do you do with forgiveness? There's no point of forgiving. Right. That's, yeah, I, I, I agree. I You know what? The image that just came to mind is, you know, the, the classic uh, story of good and evil where the, the hero is someone who chooses to not kill his enemy or chooses to have mercy on, you know, the villain. And the villain just kills recklessly. And, you know, this is very clear in, like, Batman, right? Mm-hmm. Where Batman refuses to, to kill. Mm-hmm. And that's his weakness, right? Uh, or as that's um, what the villains perceive as his weakness. Uh, but we know inherently, like, that's... That's the good thing, right? Like, Batman is the good guy because he doesn't kill, right? He, you know, forgives his neighbor insofar as, you know, he doesn't kill them, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Beats him to a pulp, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't kill him. But I do think you're right in that it is a supernatural thing because there's a sense of, there's, there's, a, there's a sense of morality there that you can't really explain by uh, nature alone. Because on a purely natural level, it's like, why just just kill him, right? You know, like he wronged you. Nobody would blame you for killing him. Uh, and in fact, you know, your society, your community would be safer if you killed him. Mm-hmm. But to say, no, this is what separates me and this is what makes me good, you're already appealing to something outside of nature, right? So there is that transcendent um, quality to forgiveness, um, something that nature uh, doesn't really tend towards. Uh, right. It is, it is something that's uh, above nature, supernatural. I, I think like many of the teachings of Christianity, they're so they're so permeated in our society that we take them for granted. Yeah. And you think of something like Rome, a place like Rome, uh, all things considered a fairly sophisticated society for, mm-hmm. you know, for, for ancient times. It, in, in many ways, you know, people sometimes argue a a pre-modern society, I think maybe it's a little too far, but no person living today would want to live in Rome. Mm. Like Rome is, is for all of its glory, is not a place that was founded on any forgiveness. No, you know, right, Saint, right. Uh, Saint uh, Tom, or not Thomas, Saint Augustine said that the city of man is founded on the the murder of a brother is yeah. fr- fratricide. Right, right. Whereas the city of God is founded on mercy and love. Yeah. So right, I, that Rome could be the future of of a you know the future of a society that says that it is lawful in fact to exact revenge, and they had they had the justification for it. The, well, you know, that they was had the, the moral justification. Wasn't for that it. isn't that the story of the Aeneid, 
right? Where Aeneas is uh, about to kill, was it Paris? I, Man, I can't. He, he's standing over his enemy and he sees his enemy. Um, he's about to forgive him, actually. He, he's, you know, he's hesitant to kill him. But uh, his enemy is wearing uh, the belt of his friend who his enemy had killed. And once he sees that belt, it reminds him of the injustice done to him. And he kills the, his enemy. And that's the founding of Rome. Right. right? That's the founding of Rome is, is that, that bloodshed. Uh, and as this is a little bit contested, but most scholars would say Aeneas was justified in his killing. Like he had to found Rome and now he had leveled the playing field and this is where, this is the society that it's built on, right? Right. Um, there's debate on whether or not like that was justified, if this was actually a tragedy, right? right. Or, yeah. um, but the, the fact remains is that um, the city of man is built on blood and, right. and Rome is a great example of that. Right. So. I mean, those are, for St. Augustine, those are the two archetypal cities, the city of, of man, yeah. Rome, is that archetypal city, and then the city of God. Mm-hmm. You know, one was founded on the killing of, of, of a brother, or, I'm sorry, a friend. It, well, yeah, it, oh. was, it was the killing of his enemy who had killed his friend. Oh, uh, yes. But okay. then it was actually... Well, yeah, we'll say a killing yeah. that was... Well, the man was, could have been captured. It, yeah. like, the, the killing was not necessary. Right. That's the and thing. the other one yeah. is a man who gave himself up. Yeah, exactly. A, a self-giving, and, and then said, you should do this. Mm-hmm. You should also be forgiving. And what world do you want to be a part of? And yeah, right. I, I, yeah, I just can't help but to wonder what, what, what we're going to do with that. Because I, I think there's something existential about guilt. And you've talked about this before. And you know, if you read literature from antiquity leading up to Christ, like there's, there, there's an innate sense that things aren't quite right. Yeah. But, we, but I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, that's, um, you know, many of the church fathers talk about the, the, the years of, of, sacrifice to God in all the religions of the world trying to figure out how do I how do I get how do I get even with God like how do I get right with God and it was nothing until the coming of Christ and I don't know if we fully appreciate society at large how revolutionary the message of mercy and forgiveness is yeah right and how foundational is to the west that no you don't get to just take revenge on somebody, yeah. In fact, the, the the right thing to do is is forgiveness. Now that doesn't mean they won't go to jail or whatever. Sure, but right. you can't just kill them. Yeah, and yeah, I, you know, Saint Faustina says that God's. We have to mention Saint Faustina. We talk about mercy, <laughs> forgiveness. Gotta. I, the her, mercy. I, her her diary is really incredible. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a very emotional person, but it is. <laughs> it's it's a work that makes me emotional. Her, she says that one of God's highest qualities is, is mercy. Mm-hmm. That above his justice and above his holiness is his mercy. Mm, yeah. And I think that's the revolutionary message. Of the West, of, really. Of yeah. the West and of yeah. Christianity is God is, is not here to destroy you, but to reconcile. Yeah, right. And it is interesting that, you know, you have these two cities, God of man and man. Um, they are both founded on bloodshed. That's the thing. Um, but one is a self-giving, right? Where yes. another one is a taking. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I guess uh, yeah. you have like a, a murder. I think Augustine would say murder versus sacrifice. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You know, one exactly. was for the good of others. One was, was the self-good. Yeah. Right. To, to yeah. self-satisfaction. Yeah. Self-exaltation. Yep. But 
St. Augustine says, don't, don't be like Cain and give in to despair. Don't that, because yeah. that's also an archetype of Cain founding cities, kind of the city right, versus, right. you know, the agricultural. But yeah. uh, don't be like Cain in despair of God's mercy, but in fact, realize that God's pity is, is his highest attribute. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Well, any, any thoughts? Are we good I there? Th- no, I that, that was, I think we covered a lot there. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you for listening. Again, if you have any questions, please email us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, please like, comment, subscribe, review, do all the things. (laughs) Thank you for listening.